This is a University of Pentecost podcast. Let's get started. Thessalonians chapter 5 at verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly Comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I should explain for the benefit of any who may not have been with us in past weeks, that for some months we have been considering this first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonian church. And we have been making a brief study in it and drawing out lessons from the teaching of this epistle which was given by Paul to that church and of course for the benefit of us all. Last time we were considering what was meant earlier in this chapter by the times and the seasons and we studied what he is teaching here concerning the coming of the day of the Lord. And that we discovered was the day of Christ's second coming, when he will return from heaven, where now he sits, and he will judge all men. But now we come to look at the verses I have just read a second time, verses 12 to 15. They form a section of this epistle. And the theme which is set before us in these verses is this. How can we promote happiness within the church and within society? What can we do to ensure that the churches that we are in are happy places and that indeed the society all around us receives some influence from us which will lead men to greater happiness and to greater content. And uh, these verses describe, I believe, the kind of way in which Christian people in their churches can behave and what they should be doing to promote this happiness. It's a great mistake to imagine that churches can only be happy when they are very large. You sometimes discover that very large churches really can be lonely places people find it impossible to get to know even a fraction of those who are there. And happiness in churches certainly does not come simply because the collection plates are well filled. No. The happiness of a congregation and the well-being of a church is very much connected to the practical views which are brought before us here by the Apostle Paul. What then is he talking about? very basic and practical matters which concern us all, especially how we are to consider one another and how we are to relate 
to one another. You will notice that every one of these verses, uh, 12 to 15, deals with the question of one another. He comes at every point. We are, he says, to know those who labor among you, verse 12. To esteem them very highly, verse 13. Verse 14, to warn the unruly, to comfort the feeble-minded, verse 15, to make sure that we follow that which is good, both among ourselves and amongst all men. So at every point, he's dealing here, not with elevated and exalted Christian doctrine, but with intensely practical matters. And the first of these is like this. The way we are to look at the office bearers within the congregation. By office bearers, he means the deacons and the elders, particularly, and the preachers. These are the ones whom he describes in verse 12 as those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Notice what he says, we beseech you to know them. Now the description of the office bearers of the church is given like this. First of all, he says they labor among you. We beseech you to know them which labor among you. Now the work of elders and deacons and preachers can appear from a distance to be a very easy work. Very often this is the impression that people have. They're not doing very much. They smile and shake your hand and then you go home and it's over. But you can understand from the word of God here that the work of an office bearer, whatever that office is, preachers, elders, deacons, it involves labor. Like an iceberg, nine-tenths is under the surface of the water and cannot be seen. So it is in every church. Those who labor in the work of the office, in deacons and elders, they are teaching, they are watching, they are praying, and they are doing a very great many things which people may not understand and may not realize. Now he describes these men as being over you in the Lord. Now it can sound ominous, can't it? They are over you. There is something in us which rather dislikes to hear of anybody being over us. We tend to want to be over ourselves and to have nobody over us. But this is the way the Bible puts it. Office bearers in the church are, are over us, but notice they're over us in the Lord. Their responsibility is to watch out for our good. They're there for our good, not for our harm. In the Lord means they have the authority of Jesus Christ for being where they are as office bearers. And what they are doing is they are watching how the cause of Christ is going on. They are keeping an eye for the good of everybody concerned. And their greatest wish is to be fair and to be just and to be loving and to be courteous. And all these things are part of their work. And they, they remember the congregation continually in their thoughts 
and in their prayers and by their example and by their teaching they desire the congregation to be blessed in every way and notice what they do they admonish that's the word which is used here in verse 12 they labor among you they are over you in the Lord and they admonish you admonish means to warn and to exhort and that the exhortation of preachers and elders is this it is to keep you away from evil and to press you to doing what is right that's all a minister's work involves it is to warn you of the evil and encourage you to that which is good their desire and our desire is to see every one of you blessed every one of you saved every one of you having your children blessed and saved and in the end of the day all of us safely in heaven at last saved by Christ now that's the work of elders and deacons and ministers see what Paul says we beseech you brethren to know them to know them so we should know who they are and I hope you do I hope you know who the elders are and that you could give their names if you were asked to do so that you know their faces you are familiar with them the elders and the deacons and the ministers who come so we are to realize who they are and we are to appreciate their example and their prayers and what they do and he goes on we are to we are to esteem them he says very highly you see that in verse 13 we are to esteem them not simply to esteem them highly but very highly and in love for their work's sake well now that's very clear we are to realize that the elders and deacons and ministers of a congregation their work is entirely for your good their desire is that you should be all of you saved, kept and brought safely home to glory that's their work and as I say and repeat it is a work which seems to be so easy but I can assure you it involves all those who are in the work in many headaches and many cares and much prayer and demands of them that they themselves are examples to the flock of what a Christian should be so then I put it to you this is the way we are all of us to think we are to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake now I have to say sadly not about this congregation but about some congregations that are possible to be found in the country just now that there is not this spirit that sometimes what happens is this that the young people as they grow up they tend to be very dismissive of the elders and deacons and all their office in the church and that they adopt a very unkind attitude toward them this is what has done a lot of harm in many churches and led to the division that we're all sadly familiar with in Scotland and part of the reason why that division came was that these very words that I just read to you in this text of scripture 
were not being carried out. Young people were being taught and allowed to think uh, proudly about their elders. They were thinking of these older men as being yesterday's men, and uh, men who were past it, and men who didn't know half as much as they thought they knew, and so on. Now the apostle said, where that attitude obtains, it's the recipe for trouble. Real happiness in every congregation begins when we love those men who are doing the work of Christ, when we respect them and esteem them and hold them very highly in office as elders and deacons and preachers and so on. They are doing the work of Jesus Christ. Well, that's the first point that he makes, and then he comes on, you'll notice, at verse 13 to a second point at the end. Notice this, at the end of verse 13. And be at peace among yourselves. Now why should the apostle tell Christian people in churches to be at peace among themselves? Well, for several reasons. First of all, because in all churches we are very imperfect. There's no church which consists of perfect people. There's no perfect elders or deacons or ministers or members. We're none of us perfect. We have many shortcomings of our sanctification. Which reminds us that the most important thing in any congregation and church is holiness of life. And this is why McChain, that great young minister in Scotland, used to say this, my people's greatest need, he said, my people's greatest need is my own personal holiness. Now, of course, congregations need many things in the minister. They need someone who can uh, study the word of God and preach it, and uh, many other things besides. But he said, my greatest need and my congregation's greatest need is my own personal holiness. Now, that's true of us all. The best thing you can do to promote the work of Christ in any church on earth is to study holiness of life. And the reason why we need to listen to these words of Paul at this point, in verse 13, are because we're all of us so full of shortcomings and indwelling sin. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace. One of the reasons, again, why we need to be told these things is because we're all so very different. Every church consists of men and women and young people who are so very different from one another. Different in temperament, different in gifts, some are very intelligent and some are much less so. And then there's the whole question of uh, our understanding of the Bible. Some have great knowledge of the Bible and some seem never really to get beyond this stage of infancy. And then there's another reason for this command to be at peace among ourselves, it is because the devil is also ready to take advantage of us. You know what can happen so quickly? We make mistakes in our relationships. We say something and then we can bite our lip afterwards. We're hasty and uh, we regret what we have said later. And then again we're all inclined to be so critical. Isn't that true? We're all inclined to be highly critical. Of course we must be critical. We must keep our critical faculties open. We have to judge all things. The Bible doesn't tell us 
that we are not to judge anything or, or to criticize anything. That's impossible. We are called upon to make value judgments about everything we do and everything everybody else does. But uh, we must be careful that we don't go beyond what is reasonable. Remember the words of Christ, judge not, that ye be not judged. And the most critical people always in society are those who themselves don't judge themselves or criticize themselves. So for all these reasons and similar reasons, we are to realize that we are to study peace. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, where this peace is amongst Christians, there is happiness. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, really, that this peace is something which can be felt. When you come into a congregation, you can sense the atmosphere, whether there's peace or whether there's something else. You can feel something. Now, people can hide their resentment up to a point. You know, it's possible to have a smoldering discontent in the depths of your heart, in which you're not really in agreement with the others and you feel deep down you have to suppress something all the time. Now people can suppress it for a while, but believe me, friends, sooner or later all those forms of resentment will come out. The volcano will erupt one day, and sometimes it will erupt with terrible violence. So we need to watch the first risings of that spirit within ourselves. The church which is at peace is a church where people will be happy to come and to worship God. And the church where there is no peace is a place where people will not wish to worship God. Let me tell you of a young minister I know. When he first began in the work of the gospel, years ago, he went to the congregation and he thought this. His idea was that all the problems of the church, really, are to get the outsider to come in. His idea was that all the problems of a church are outside. And if only you could put right the problems outside by getting the people to come in, then all would be well. But as he worked in the gospel, preaching and preparing and so on, he discovered this, that his whole attitude to congregations was wrong. The problems of every church are not so much out there as always on the inside. And so he came to see, if you put right the problems on the inside, people will, in God's providence, come. Because people will come where truth is, and people will come where love is, and people will come where happiness is. And so the Apostle says in this exhortation, Be at peace among yourselves. Now what are we to do to promote this peace between Christians? The first thing we ought to do is to watch our pride and our ambition. These things are always the source of endless trouble in Christian fellowship. Pride and ambition. Somebody feels he ought to be more recognized. Somebody feels he or she ought to be given a bigger place and a more important platform. Ought to be praised more and acknowledged more. Now, whether it's ministers, or elders, or anything else, if that spirit once comes into our hearts, it will cause endless trouble. Pride, ambition, self-seeking, self-interest, they're always the cause 
of this peace. I heard of one minister once, and a terrible thing was said about him whenever he had an elders meeting. One of his own elders said, this minister was never so happy as when he saw his elders at one another's throats. At one another's throats. That's terrible. You couldn't possibly say a worse thing about a minister. But you see, that's because of pride, self-interest, self-importance. If you and I are to promote this peace one with another, we had better look carefully to our own hearts and examine ourselves as to our motives in serving Jesus Christ. Now, if ever then, in the fellowship of Christ's people, if ever the situation arises in which you hurt or offend another Christian, then I say the best thing you or I can do is as soon as we're aware of it, to do something about it. It's a noble Christian who can climb down and apologize. And that's what we are to do. Many a time in life we have to apologize. Many a time we have to eat humble pie. Yielding pacifies great offenses, says the Bible. And a soft answer turns away wrath or anger. And that's what we need to recall. You and I are exhorted by the Apostle Paul. Be at peace among yourselves and love as brethren. Now he goes on from there, you notice at verse 14, and he says this, now he says, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men. Now he's talking here about the way we are to consider and think about one another. Today we are to consider and think about one another. When we come to the fellowship of God's people, we're not simply to think about ourselves, but we are to realize there are all sorts of people here and in other churches with all sorts of problems and all sorts of difficulties. It's all too possible, isn't it, for us to come to the house of God and to be so immersed in our own problems that we forget a lot of other people may have problems too. We have our worries, we say. But so do others have their worries. We have our anxieties, so do they have their anxieties. We have our troubles, so do they have their troubles. We must remember that as we come to the house of God. And I would put it to you, think of the person just now who's sitting beside you, or perhaps in front of you, or perhaps near you, you have no idea, have you, really, what problems they may be going through. Because they keep a composed countenance and a smiling face, you may think they haven't got a care in the world. They may have great cares and great worries. There may be those whom they love who are very sick. Or they may be worried for unconverted relations who have so little interest in the things of God. So we are to consider one another. And he particularly here talks about three different sorts of people, or perhaps it's four in verse 14. Warn the unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all. Now you see how he is describing different kinds 
of uh, Christians within every church. It was true in Paul's day, it's undoubtedly true today in the 21st century. Some people who profess Christ are unruly. Unruly. That is to say, they're very awkward. It is a fact of life that there are Christians who can be very difficult, very awkward. And unruly means they, whatever you say to them, they hardly keep to the right path. They're difficult, awkward people for one reason or another. Now what are we to do with these people? Well, he tells us to warn them. It is the way of love that where people go too near the edge of the cliff, you give them a shout of warning. And where people, perhaps who are unruly and inclined to go into dangerous places and dangerous situations, which are hurtful to the soul, that we who are true Christians must in kindness and in love, we must warn them. There are these people. And then the second group are those who are feeble-minded. In all churches, there are people who are feeble-minded. That is to say, they are not really at all confident. They are exceedingly nervous and afraid and inclined to see shadows on the wall all the time and uh, misinterpret things and, and uh, they're quickly depressed and quickly anxious. Now we're all a bit like that. Sin has done this to us all, but some are particularly so. Some are always inclined to go down in their mind. Feeble-minded. What are we to do? Well, you say we're just to write them off because they're dead lost. No, no, that's not the way of Christ. We are to comfort them. Comfort the feeble-minded. Try and think of something encouraging to say. To lift them up again. And then we are to support the weak. It's not quite clear to my mind exactly what's meant by the weak. I suppose it means those who are easily tempted. Some people easily form friendships with others and are tempted to do foolish things and to go to foolish places and to damage their own soul. They're easily tempted and they're weak. Other Christians are strong in that respect. They are comparatively strong at any rate. They resist temptation readily, but others drift into situations which are harmful to them. They don't seem to be able to say no. What are we to do? Are we to say, well, that's their fault. They've made their bed, let them lie on it. No, 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 that's not the way of Christ. We are to support the weak. Help them in the right direction. Guide them away from harmful friends, harmful situations, harmful habits of life. We are, you see, to be our brother's keeper and to care the one for the other. And he has another category here, be patient toward all. And that's a word, I think, for people like myself. Be patient towards all. What terrible mistakes we make when we are impatient and how easily we can be impatient. And the Apostle is saying to us, be patient towards all. Now look then at these four things. We exalt you, brethren. We command you, brethren. Warn those that are unruly. And there are such people. Comfort the feeble-minded. And there are Christians like that. Support the weak. And you know very well there are many of them. Be patient towards all men. Now this, he means, is the way towards the promotion of a happy Christian fellowship and a happy Christian church. This is the formula. 
The formula is not in terms of wealth, money, not even in terms of elevated doctrine, talking all the time about supra-luxarianism and these majestic subjects which are very important in their way. But you see, the way is the practical way also. We are to promote love and kindness in the manner that the Apostle Paul outlines for us. And then he comes to my last point this morning, which is in verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. What is he saying there? Well, I think it's very simple. We are to be good. You know, it sounds all too simple, doesn't it, to put it like that. But there are Christians and church people who are not so good as they ought to be. But the Apostle says we are to be good. Ever follow that which is good. If the Gospel doesn't make us good, then there's something wrong with the way we have received the Gospel. Christ came to make a, a good people, and people that follow what is good. So how are we to work this out? Well, first of all, we're not to do anyone a bad turn. It's very tempting, isn't it, to wish to get your own back. Somebody has done you a bad turn. They've said something which has stung you and hurt you. It's very easy. It's natural to us all to want to get our own back. All right, he said that to me, then I'll get my own back like this. No, says Paul, don't do that. Don't render evil for evil. It was said about an English reformer at the time of the Reformation that the best way to become his friend was to do him a bad turn and he would go out of his way to show you kindness and love. Now that's the gospel. If somebody does you a bad turn, go out of your way to do them good and show them no unkindness. It is what our Lord Jesus Christ has said to us, it's the example he himself set. Forgive the sins of those who offend you and give them a ready, hearty forgiveness. Render to no man evil for evil, but ever follow that which is good. We are to follow good doctrine. We are to follow good practice. We are to encourage kindness and love one amongst the other. And then he says, we are to do this not only amongst Christians, but among yourselves also and to all men. The Christian spirit is to flow out. Well, my friends, that is the way the Apostle describes a happy Christian fellowship, a happy Christian church. And I'm going to finish with a story that I read just the other day in a magazine that came from America, because I think it illustrates what has been stated here by the Apostle Paul. A Christian lady was taken week by week to church by her husband, and in this case the husband was not a Christian. She was a Christian, and she loved her church, and she went every week, and she was taken by her husband in the car. Perhaps she couldn't drive, and he could. It's a very common situation. It happens many times. Now, he would turn up at the church just when the service time was over. But on one occasion, they must have had communion or something, because they were later in coming out, 
than usual. So he sat in his car and he was waiting for his wife and he noticed the people coming out of the door to the church. They were talking to one another and they were obviously very happy and they were obviously very friendly and affectionate and their, their faces betrayed the fact that they had enjoyed being in the house of God worshipping and hearing the gospel. So when the wife of the gentleman came along and opened the car door and jumped in, the husband set off for home and he said, he said, why are these people all so happy? He said, what makes them all so happy? And it's uh, quite a good comment, isn't it? That after all, you don't see so very many people all that happy, do you? A lot of faces are as long as a fiddle. But this gentleman said, he said to his wife, as they were driving along, why, he said, are they all so happy? Well, she gave the perfect answer. My dear, she said, come and see. Come and see. So he came and saw, and he became one of them. And he himself knew, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what it is to have the forgiveness of sins, and peace with God, and the happiness that no man can give, and which no man can take away. And you see the power of the witness of happy people. Now, my beloved friends, as I close today, I want to say to you, if you are truly happy in the Lord, you won't be able to conceal that in your homes, in your places of work, as you're going about shopping and working, you can't conceal the fact that you're happy if you are. It's written all over your character. You could assume conceal the color of your hair. No, people are quick to notice. And like the man that I, I spoke about in my little story, they will, if not with words open, they will say it in their heart. What makes that fellow so happy? What makes that woman, that neighbor, so happy? And the answer will be, they know God. They know Christ. They are right with heaven. And so I say to you, take all these exhortations <coughs> and work them out in practice. Let me ask you questions then as I close. My friends, do you love the elders of the congregation? These dear senior men and deacons, do you love those who bring you the word of God? Do you love them and esteem them highly? Or deep down in your heart, this is some sort of resentment. Well, if there is, take it to the cross of Christ. Be at peace among yourselves. Promote love in every way. And if you do so, you will bring happiness with you wherever you go.